today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. We're obviously talking a lot about COVID-19 and have been for the last 60 some odd weeks. And as we slowly get more vaccines into people's arms and the new caseloads slowly go down, ICU slowly uh, go down, uh, we obviously start to make plans for reopening. And we certainly got the notice in regard to schools staying closed for the remainder of this year uh, for elementary and high school students. But what happens in September, especially with university students who uh, obviously residence uh, was available for those who needed it, but a lot of the kids just decided to stay home and do it online uh, this year. We heard Western University, uh, uh, University of Western Ontario last week, earlier in the week, saying that uh, business as usual comes September, except that if you're in residence, you need to have at least uh, one vaccine. McMaster University has said they will not mandate date vaccination for students in residence to talk more about all of this denver della vadova is with us president and ceo of the mcmaster student union and is with us now denver thanks for the time hope you're well hey yeah i'm pretty good how are you i'm doing well thanks so what is the policy at mac in regard to residents and and getting things back to normal in september and vaccination so right now i know that they're doing a number of things um overall there's no requirement for vaccination but I know there was some polling through the uh, COU, so the Council of Ontario Universities, and they found around 90% of students are going to be getting vaccinated, which is above that threshold. So um, I know at McMaster, they're shooting for about 93% occupancy, so they can leave some space for, uh, what do you call it? Oh, for quarantine and such. Yeah, for quarantining if Mm -hmm. needed, but at the same time, they're going off that president of, what public health has said that they right. should be okay based on the numbers how do you think other students uh, again you say the majority of the students are going to be vaccinated anyway how do you think the majority of those students feel about others that are not vaccinated are they speaking up and offering resistance saying hey man i'm getting vaccinated everybody should be so far um there hasn't seemed to be a a push in that way i think a lot of students respect that different folks might have different health concerns or reasons that might complicate them getting a vaccination. And folks recognize that. Uh, at the same time, I think folks like myself even, I would encourage anybody to get vaccinated if you can, right? And I think that's the belief of most students. Are you surprised this isn't a universal stu- uh, universal situation ac- across the province or even across the country where if one's doing it, they're all doing it? Um. I, not really, because I think it uh, it really varies institution to institution, right? Like, we, we all are going to have demo, uh, different demographic makeups of our schools and even different communities around and how we interact with the community, right? So I think that has a lot to do with how folks shape what they want their policy to be, especially in a time a couple months from now when we're still somewhat unsure of where we'll land uh, with vaccination rates overall, right? Was there a lot of debate around this? Was there a lot of discussion before this was made? Uh, there's been a lot of discussion shaping what we want to do and overall the plan within the university and how they want to move forward and the steps they want to take, like leaving 7% occupancy for quarantining. Um, overall, I don't think that folks have been very adversarial. It's been more of a community project where everybody works together to find what's best for our campus community and the broader community around us, right? 
So what will school look like in September at Mac? Will it be like it was pre-pandemic? Will it be open but with some restriction? Uh, we, you know, obviously September is a big time for students when they get back. Uh, and you can just imagine, uh, with the year last year that, uh, there's a lot of excitement about, uh, the next year. What will life look like on campus next September? So that's an interesting one because there's, uh, still a lot of uncertainty. I know McMaster had put out a what we know and what we're working towards, um, news post just recently. And with that, there's a lot of things that they are going to be following public health guidelines and going off having as much occupancy as they can while still respecting those guidelines. At the same time, I imagine folks are likely going to be wearing masks, likely going to be following distancing. I seriously doubt we would see full occupancy of larger lecture halls, like say a hall of 200 students might only have 50 students in it. But um, I know they're, they're making efforts to find every way that they can to accommodate that. And as well, they're looking at how to shift some of our courses to be hybrid models where they have online components for portions that can be delivered in that way. And then say, like, I'm a science student, um, how I could go into my lab exclusively, but maybe not the lecture portion, right? Mm. So, so it, what about... normal. <laughs> So, yeah, so it, it's certainly not going to be uh, normal yet, but at least uh, a few more steps towards that. What about things like uh, sports, uh, social uh, events, clubs, that sort of thing, pubs? So I, I know um, for the MSU ourselves, we haven't, we've been waiting somewhat on the university and public health guidelines before we make decisions around things like clubs. I know the university's making efforts to figure out ways that they can have more outdoor social spaces that way folks can stay distanced and have gatherings in that way that fall in line with public health um as for sports i haven't really myself heard the call on that one so i'm not exactly sure but i imagine they're staying in line with public health and at the same time doing as much as they can right so still lots of uh chatter between now and september as to what it's really all going to look like yeah i think there's a lot of steps right especially because guidelines with the Ontario government change it seems like weekly, right? All right, Denver Della uh, Dela Vadova has been with us, president and CEO of the McMaster Student Union. McMaster University will not mandate uh, vaccinations for their students in residence this year. Western announcing earlier this week that they would be doing that. Denver, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Good luck next year. My pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, we've talked about the uh, COVID-19 pandemic and the, the, the feeling of loneliness, not being able to get out, meet with friends and lockdowns and all that stuff. But is there a positive to uh, being alone? Let's bring in Dr. Robert Copeland, researcher, professor of psychology, Carleton University. The article is The Meaning of Solitude. Carleton Researcher probes the flip side of loneliness. Doctor, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Scott. So what is the flip side of loneliness? Well, you know, as you mentioned, uh, there's been a lot of focus for good reason on, on a lot of the negative aspects of uh, of spending time alone. And of course, during the COVID-19 lockdowns, many people have been restricted from, you know, seeing other people and have felt lonely and sad and cut off from their, uh, you know, from their social groups. And that's a really important thing that we need to consider um, well, we talked about more on the flip side is, you know, also under COVID-19 restrictions, there are a subset of people who are 
locked up with lots of other people. <laughs> and so, you know, imagine, uh, you know, a young couple who are working, both of them working at home, and they have a couple of elementary learning at home. And so for the past 15 months, it's maybe been almost impossible for any of them to find any time for themselves to get any alone time. And uh, what we started to investigate is whether that might also have negative implications. So there have been people that have perhaps been benefiting from this, giving them a different perspective. Uh, yeah, that's that's true. I mean, we do know that, you know, under the right circumstances and under the right conditions, you know, being alone can be a positive experience. Uh, and some of the key issues seem to be whether or not you're choosing to spend that time alone. So, you know, if you're motivated to spend time alone, if you are engaged in activities that you value, that you see as meaningful, that you are enjoying, that can certainly be a positive experience that reaps kinds of positive benefits. The problem, of course, with, you know, the COVID-19 restrictions is that for many of us, they just remove that choice. Right. We are kind of thrust into these situations where we uh, have lost control over how much time we're spending with others and how much time we're spending alone. So I'm not sure if the pandemic itself really lends itself to, you know, the most positive experiences of solitude. But for those who tend to enjoy spending that time alone, I guess there is the possibility that they're going to get more of that opportunity. It seemed at the beginning of this, yeah, no problem. We can get through this. We can eat and drink our way through it. And then after a year, we seemed, we could see some real changes in people after that year. Oh, yeah, no question. And I think, you know, as we've alluded to, we're going to see really, you know, a long time coming back from this in terms of people's mental health, in terms of people's well-being. A lot of damage has been done to people over the last 15 months. And, you know, we've really had to adjust our expectations about what's okay and what's not okay uh, in terms of how we're feeling, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, social media was flooded with people who were showing their bread recipes that they were cooking or how yeah. they've alphabetized their spice racks and how this was, you know, an amazing opportunity <laughs> to kind of get stuff done. Uh, but of course, in the long run, you know, this is not a positive experience for the overwhelming majority of people. Uh, and, you know, we've had to come to understand that it is okay not to be okay during this time and that we shouldn't be seeing this as a time to thrive, but more of it as a time to survive. And we have to adjust our expectations in that way. I have, I probably shouldn't say this. I've discovered meditation over this uh, pandemic. Some people learn another language, a musical mm-hmm. instrument. I've learned meditation. Uh, <laughs> how does this solitude relate to that? Yeah, Because I, I have found this as a great tool. Yeah, so I mean, meditation, you know, has been shown actually quite a bit of uh, scientific evidence to show the benefits of, of meditation for our well-being. It helps us relax. It helps us concentrate. It can be a great kind of restorative practice and help us feel uh, more ourselves and more calm. Uh, people who are really skilled at meditating can actually probably do it even in a crowd of people. But solitude is definitely a context that lends itself to, to meditation. Uh, and if that's something that you've picked up over the, you know, of course, if that's a practice you've acquired over the pandemic, I think that's something that would be really helpful uh, moving forward. I think it's just really good for us uh, in terms of making us feel better. Does loneliness scare us? Yeah, loneliness, I mean, loneliness in, in studies seems to be experienced in the brain a lot like physical pain. Right. So this is a this is a debilitating feeling that can lead to serious mental health problems, feelings of depression. Uh, you know, humans were evolved. We were designed to be with other people. We generally feel happier when we're with others. We generally function better when we are working with other people. And so if we're cut off, especially if we don't have that choice that I mentioned before, but cut off from others, it can have really serious implications, not only for our mental health, but over the long term, even our physical health. 
What uh, will it be? Will we be different coming out the other end of this? I remember saying in this, having these discussions since the beginning of this pandemic, uh, mm-hmm. very divisive society going into it. Everybody yeah. ah, mad at each other, one side or the other. <laughs> You're either on this team or that team. Has this made us more empathetic or will this wear out with time too? Oh, I mean, one can hope, uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, when the, the stress level of the whole world is raised, it has, you know, wide ranging implications in terms of how everybody's going to be doing. Um, I think it's really important to remember that just as everybody has had different experiences going into the pandemic, we're also all going to have very different feelings, very different experiences about how we want to come out of the pandemic, right? So some people are chomping at the bit. They can't wait to go, you know, to a hockey game or, you know, go to a concert and, and, you know, go to a big party with a whole bunch of people. And others are feeling absolutely terrified to leave their house uh, after, you know, being so scared about the implications of being out with other people for so long. And you've got people who are everywhere in between uh, those two kinds of extremes. And so I think one of our big challenges of many coming out of the pandemic is, you know, how are we going to help this, you know, wide range of possible responses to opening up and being out among people again? It's funny how it's taught us what's important and what's not, because really this brought us down to the basics. I mean, you know, if you're lucky enough to be working and, and you know, your family at home, what have you. Uh, but it's re- really made us realize that all the rest of the stuff is just fluff. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with you. I think for a lot of people, you know, if you are fortunate enough to, you know, to have been reasonably healthy during this time, to have been able to, you know, m- maintain your your your, you know, your employment and, and support yourself and your family, then I think you should be feeling really good about, you know, how you've managed to cope and get by during this time. And I think you're right. It's definitely been an opportunity for us to reexamine what our true priorities are. Uh, yeah, I, I remember reading a, a report last uh, week, I think it was, where, you know, how many people are looking forward to the new normal. And way back at the beginning of this, I can't wait for it to get back to normal. Now, I was like, I don't know if I wanted to go back to normal. 80% were saying, no, they wanted a hybrid version. They don't want the old normal. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's true. A lot of people have really found that they enjoy, you know, the routine of working from home, maybe, maybe not full time, but maybe part time. Uh, and you've seen a lot of businesses that are going to be changing their models moving forward in terms of that. And, and it certainly accelerated a lot of trends in terms of how we use technology to, to keep in touch and how our work-life balance is, uh, is managed that I think uh, we're going to see the implications of for years to come. Dr. Robert Copeland has been with us, researcher, professor of psychology, Carleton University, the meaning of solitude. Carleton researcher probes the flip side <laughs> of loneliness. Doctor, thanks for the time. Be well. Thank you so much. Take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.